welcome to the Property Portfolio Podcast with Mark Stokes and Nigel Green. Every week we inspire and guide you towards success in the world of property development, mentorship and fundraising. Before we jump into today's episode, a reminder to join us at equacademy.co.uk where you can gain free access to hundreds of videos and templates to help you on your property development journey. Good morning, Nigel. Good morning, Mark. How are you, sir? All right? Very, very well indeed. Thank you. Very well. And quite surreal times, isn't it? You know, we're about to go into lockdown for the second time. But it's it's a beautiful, beautiful day in Surrey. I've got sun streaming in, bouncing off my forehead, you know. (laughs) It's not too bad here on the uh, northern Essex-Suffolk border. So it's, uh, it's all good. It's all good. Brilliant. And we've got many of our wonderful attendees here. Good to see everybody. Gil, Andre, Andrew, David, Ed, Ian, Jamie, Lee, Leaford, Mark, Marcus, Marcus, Michelle, Michelle, Paul, Paul, Rick, Russell, Scott, Steve, Steve, Thomas. Oh, loads of them. Streaming in, streaming in. In uh, yeah, what is a, a particularly surreal week, isn't it? And uh, you know, talk about tough decisions. But I wonder how surreal it will be in the states uh, come the end of the day. I'm uh, haven't had a look for an hour on what's happened with the elections, but no, no. Is there any updates at all? Well, let's. Yeah. Should we do? Anyway. We do oh, this is, uh, we're not going to do predictions though, because we're not as bold as that. But uh, let's see where we're at. Biden two oh five, Trump one six five. So uh, I think they're still uh, still counting many of them. So yeah, I think oh two ooh, Biden two twenty and Trump two one three. That's so close. Very close. Going to be all on those swing states, isn't it? Mm. We'll end up with uh, another lunatic in the most powerful job of the uh, the world. That's very opinionated for me. I'm not normally <laughs> opinionated, am I? Keep your mouth shut. <laughs> oh dear, I would. Anyway, we'll, we'll we'll see. We'll see later, won't we? And you know, it uh, kind of is what it is. Yeah, we will. Okay, so as always, we've got the chat box there. If you've got any questions, pop them in the chat box. I can't keep an eye on the Q and A and the chat box, so just pop them in the the chat box, and we'll have a stream through of that every now and again. So the last three weeks, we've been having a pretty deep dive in in raising private capital, raising private finance, um, which uh, that started off as one, and we ended up doing a part two and a, a part three as well. Just a reminder, if you're not in Equiportal, uh, go to equacademy.co.uk and join up there. Absolutely complimentary. And there you will find the recordings of every single one of these sessions so every single time, every Wednesday morning, there's always some golden nuggets that we're, we're, we're drawing on that will help you. And the reason why we know it helps you is because you're the ones asking the questions. Um, and today is a great example of that. Uh, last week, uh, one of you asked for, well, in fact, two of you asked for some uh, more details and thoughts on joint venturing. Mm-hmm which is a pretty broad church, isn't it, in, in, in two simple words, but that is a, a pretty big subject. So I have a feeling this might go into a, a part two as well. <laughs> so, yeah, 
joint venturing, um, something we've been involved in in one way, shape or form for many, many, many years, decades even. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I, I think, you know, for me, I think the importance really for JV is it's kind of that chemistry, you know, it's, it's bringing the, the complementing skills, you know, in, into, into a, uh, an opportunity. Let's say, you know, I, I don't know, it could be, uh, let's say, you know, somebody who's expert in project management and then somebody who comes in is maybe great with the numbers and, you know, accountancy and, you know, even an architect, you know, coming in, there's, it's finding those complementary skills, you know, time versus no time, you know, <laughs> money versus et cetera, et cetera. So you, you can just kind of build it up, um, you know, in terms of that. But I, I think, you know, in terms of JVs, you're going to be, you're going to be shoulder to shoulder with this party for, you know, a fair few months, you know, and and sometimes years, you know, in, in certain joint ventures. So you've got to get on with the people. Um, and I, th- I think that's the that's the biggest test for me. <clears throat> you know, we've we've come across a few, haven't we, Mark, in in, in the time. And um, some people we've said no in a very nice way. And I don't think they ever knew we said no, but we just said no because the chemistry was not there. You know. uh, that's right. That's really important, that acid test. Uh, mm. You know whether that's the uh, the W test, the no W test, or or, or not. Um, you know, does it does it feel right? And I remember one specific example that we we both went through. It's about about three or four years ago now, and somebody wanted to uh, approached us to an, a sophisticated investor um, wanted to loan us around about £400,000, which at the time and the timing of that with one of our developments would have been very nice indeed. Um, but we something just didn't feel right, did it? There's just something there. And and we probed a bit and explored. And, you know, Nigel has this great question of, of what does great look like to you? And, you know, we explored that question with this other party mm-hmm. Um and they wanted to be involved in every design decision. They got a bit of a design-led background, and they wanted to be invi- involved in that, and they wanted sign-off of the design. Yeah. And we asked them that question of, okay, so if you wanted to be involved in the design and the sign-off, what, what turnaround would you expect for each of the, the, the stage milestone sign-offs? And they said, well, I think, you know, 10 days to two weeks would be reasonable. And quite frankly, you know, we, we looked at ourselves and recognised immediately that, look, we, we don't want a joint venture doing partner here. We don't need that, that extra eyes and ears signing off design. And of course, if there was a delay at the end and the project missed its targets, do you really want to be you know, pointing the finger and having that discussion as uh, mm-hmm. you know, that intervention? So um, we didn't really want somebody making decisions on the colour of the walls, did we, of our, of our product? So... No, I think that was a good decision. We'll never know one way or the other, but <clears throat> I think um, you know the first impression certainly was that that was definitely a good decision to to walk away and get alternative an alternative partner on board, uh, which went really well. And we didn't say no. No, we didn't. <laughs> In a very diplomatic way, we we exited, stayed right, um, yeah. and it's all about preserving relationships. Why why queer your pitch? You know, so many opinionated people out there who just want to fall out with each other. Um, that's certainly not uh, not our game. Life's a bit too short for that. You know, it didn't mean they were right and we were wrong, or we were wrong and they were right. You know, it was it, the, just the fit wasn't there, and that's nobody's fault. Mm. Recognised. No, absolutely, absolutely. I think that's a great point. Yeah, 
I mean, I've got a, if it helps, uh, Mark, I've, I've got a, a personal case study on joint venturing, which I'd happy to happy to share with you and everybody. You know, it's, okay, it's one that, um, I mean, it, it probably goes back a fair few years now, but, um, you know, back to probably eight years. Um, we, my, my wife and I, and and myself, we we bought a an investment property, and this was a, a three story uh, mixed use commercial building uh, in Romford, um, and um, it had, if I can describe it to you, it had Weatherspoons on the ground floor, so they were they were in on a, a twenty year lease, um, expiring lease, but nonetheless over twenty years. And on the upper floor, so it was a ground first, second floor. On the upper floors, <clears throat> there was an international college um, in that in that space, and they were on a. It just been renewed actually when we bought it, but it'd been renewed on a ten year FRI for repairing and insuring lease. So, you know, from our perspective, we were investing, we were getting the income, you know, uh, back, and it was kind of a total hands off arm's length type transaction really from our perspective so you know the location of the building was great as well um so it was on the on the main pedestrianized area of the town kind of two minutes walk to romford station um you know although at that time eight years ago it was a bit <clears throat> too far into the distance but you know we know crossrails coming in in 2021 um you know it's about 30 minutes 29 30 minutes from from london as well so in terms of a location you know, quite a quite a prime opportunity. So we we jumped in and we you know, we invested in the building and bought it, and um, you know that was absolutely fine for about three four years. Three four years. Ground floor tenant, no problem. It was the upper parts. So if I can describe the the tenants. So this was an international college. Okay, so they would attract students from all over the world that would come to the UK. Get educated up to degree level, you know, in this college, and um, you know that was the business plan. So about three, four years ago, um, you know, anybody that's uh, aware of this, you know, there was UK immigration and border control changed their changed their rules, uh, and particularly for foreign students um, coming into into the UK. So from a, <clears throat> a business or a tenant, should I say that you know their model was international. Um, it kind of it try you know it drove a bus through their their business model and and overnight you know they literally got into trouble so that was a bit of a concern for me you know I wanted the rent to be paid I had a commercial mortgage on this this property so it was it was thinking uh, cap time you know to try and find a way that you know we could find a win win really for for all parties so so I met with the tenant um, and we agreed we agreed an exit. Okay, so and the exit was—I mean, there was seven years remaining on the <clears throat> on the FRI lease. Um, the um, the exit was linked to me getting approval um, for a conversion to residential uh, for those for those areas. Okay, so that's full planning permission. So it was kind of a conditional deal that if I could get planning, then I would release them from the uh, the contract, as it were. So that all went through and it was fine. Um, the actual college uh, pivoted as well. They had to pivot their business. So from being an international, um, you know, attractor of students, they became more of a national attractor of students. And um, and they're still there today, ticking away, you know, educating 
um, the young and otherwise um, in the UK. So, you know, that's great. But in that pivot, they realised actually they needed a bigger building <laughs> because, because the audience was, was much larger. So as part of the negotiation and all built into the numbers, I agreed to help them because, bearing in mind, all their income had just stopped you know, literally stopped overnight. So I agreed to help them with, with paying the deposit for the next building. So they went off to, to find somewhere. You know, I went off and, you know, sought, sought the planning approval and um, the deal was kind of set. So in parallel with that, so that was kind of a joint venture. That was kind of, would you agree, that's a joint venture with the tenant really, isn't it, to, to find a win-win. But in parallel with that, um, I also found... Uh, a constructor partner, okay, um, who would basically take the space and do the conversion into into Resi. So the way that that deal uh, came about um, was that I agreed, or Annette and myself, we we agreed a sale actually of the of the upper parts uh, thousand on a thousand year leasehold uh, with planning. So it you know it must have planning. Um, and to sell it into the joint venture development vehicle, okay, who obviously this constructor formed part of. But, um, and and in doing so, um, we we would sell it so we would get a bullet payment, you know, for that, for that transaction. So that was great. This particular joint venture partner, he was, um, he had a line strategy. So his thing was, develop and hold you know he was in his own right he was a high maybe ultra high net worth individual as well um and he that's how he built his wealth through joint ventures so he's very very akin to that kind of approach so you know which which worked fine so how how did the deal look so we um we agreed the sale um and this was the sale to the, the devco or the development company spv of only the first and the second floors on the thousand year lease with full planning permission for 11 flats, 11 one-bedroom flats. And we exchanged contracts subject to planning, and they did all the work. So this was the deal. So my issue was I didn't have the time. They had the resources and the money. So we kind of came together, you know, and we did this transaction in a way we went. And as myself, then we, we agreed um, as part of the deal that we would retain 50% of the shareholding of the development SPV. So the joint venture partner would own 50% and we would own 25% each. So the other side of the 50%. So we sold it, but then retained the interest on the other side. The JV partner brought all the money. The deal was that we weren't going to provide any guarantees at all. So he was bringing the money, whether it was his own personal cash, whether he's going to bring development finance or a combination of the two, you know, that was fine. But we weren't going to step up in terms of personal guarantees. So we, we didn't want that liability at all. And that was agreed. So so really, I mean, apart from Mark, you know, you know, apart from attending probably one board meeting a month, you know, for us it was a very, very hands-off deal that was done, you know, uh, in terms of in terms of that. And, you know, they did all the funding, they constructed all the flats. You know, and we we've now retained fifty percent of the ownership of the flats and fifty percent of the cash flow, which is kind of really important. But you know that that particular coming together, chemistry was one issue, and you know like that worked fine. Um, I wanted to retain ownership of assets. I didn't just want cash, so we've we've found we could 
get a bit of both, which again was good. That long-term potential growth as well as the asset, which was really important. So the property market, Crossrail coming in were all key indicators that at some point, who knows when, but at some point, you know, the value would increase very little input. So as I say, maximum one day a month, and sometimes it was just half a day. Um, no personal guarantees at all within the construction. Um, I was a direct, I am a director of the company and obviously shareholder. So we both sit on the board, but you know, from that, I have my director responsibilities, but from a lending perspective, absolutely nothing apart from, so I agreed that once the assets were concluded and finished, uh, all signed off and we were in the refinancing stage, I, w- I would then be happy to take up the normal kind of personal guarantees that everybody, we all put a personal guarantee around even a mortgage, don't we? So I'd be happy to do that because at least the assets were there. And in the event there was a call on it, you know, we could just walk an asset into the auction, get the money and pay the debt back. So I was I was quite comfortable with that. And I think that was only fair, to be honest. You know, and looking at future potential as well. So this has opened up, you know, we're now looking at going up another couple of floors, you know, PD rights have come in and all these sorts of things. So again, just do the same same over and over again. And I think, you know, in summary, um, I mean, we sold a problem for the tenant, number one, you know, who'd fallen into difficulties, no fault of his his own at all. And he just couldn't pay the rent, you know, but that was a problem for me. So we, we came together, we kind of did a joint venture around the solution. You know, I sold then, I found another partner, we sold the thousand year lease to that JB partner as well, because I didn't have the time. So, you know, something needed to happen. It was either develop it or it was bring another tenant in. And I didn't really want to do the latter, to be honest. You know, we got that bullet payment, which was really important. We didn't put any money in the deal at all with no guarantees. Now, we retained 50% of that, that SPV as well. So we've got the long-term wealth and also the income. And it's and it's also it's spawned future potentials as well. We're going up, so I think that kind of is a true win-win, and probably win, you know, in terms of a joint venture. So yeah, hope that helped. Brilliant, brilliant. Wow. It just brings it to life, doesn't it? And um, glasses half full approach of uh, okay, you had a problem, Houston. We've got a problem. That call nobody wants to receive. I mean, you can go into tin hat and fixed bayonets mode and mm. um but you know you you sat down with them had a coffee and worked things through and turned a, a problem into well a yeah. phenomenal opportunity yeah which is the gift that's keeps on giving with pd as you said and yeah, uh yeah, definitely. airspace yeah i mean it's, it's a lesson and you know i think it's a lesson over the years that you know what? What could I? What could I have done with that situation? So the the trigger point was the tenant was not paying the rent, so I could serve notice on him. I could have gone for through the courts. Um, I could have serviced, you know, a notice. Um, you know, to just just pull the lease away. You know, all all these sorts of things could could have been done, and that's a very adversarial way of dealing with things. But the the bottom line is, I would have been left with the tenant would have gone. I'd be left with a set of keys for the building and still in the same problem, you know, and sometimes you do, you just need to kind of work it, work the issue, you know, sit down. I mean, when I sat down with the tenant, I didn't know where that was going at all. You know, you know, when I found the joint venture partner, I had no idea where that was going at all, but you just keep working it. You just keep working it, pulling them all together. If they're all consistently moving us all in the same direction, 
you know, that's that's the thing we should we should be looking at. And um, you know, in that instance, um, you know, worked really well. I'm sure along that way, and and I know you and I think so alike in this. You know, we've got that humility that we just learn from every every person, every company, every interaction we have. There's always a takeaway, isn't there? And I'm sure you uh, you learned a lot from the experienced developer who funded you know part of it, and I'm sure that was a a great interaction. Um, yeah, absolutely. And you know, and he has he has been today very very respectful. You know, he's been very respectful, even though you know from a physical perspective um you know I'm, I'm not putting a lot of input in at all i mean it's even his management company is managing the the site you know in terms of rentals so but that that's absolutely fine you know and what's precious to me and i know it's the same with you mark is our time you know it's our time with our families and um you know he's more than happy to get stuck in he's got all the systems all the support mechanism all there and and i think that's just that's just a, a lovely example of you know, the chemistry, the wants and the wishes and the just coming together to make that kind of that perfect situation, you know, real. And, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, long may that continue, definitely. You, you mentioned one word there, the R word, that almost brings all of that together and encapsulates a, a key attribute of any successful joint venture. And that the R word, respect. And, I, you know, how long have we known each other? 25 years nearly um and you know whether that comes from your background how you were brought up your martial arts background which probably no people lot of people know about but re- respect is everything in business isn't it if, if the respect isn't there there isn't a deal there no no and you, you know you can pick that up by body language by the way people interact with you you know things people say and you know hopefully people know you and I mark you know we're not adversarial individuals um, at all um, but we'll process absolutely process and we'll be gauging the way people approach us the way people talk to us and um, and that that becomes the measure, you know. And um, and we've seen we've seen all sorts of situations, haven't we? You know, over that 20, 30 years, you know, in business and, and what have you, all all sorts of characters. And um, and I think it it was really important to me, you know, that that chemistry thing and the respect thing around some of the teams we built in the past as well, because you know they were delivering some significant significant projects all very tight in time and urgency and what have you and you you've got to have everybody's got to be pulling in the same direction you know you put that single individual into that team and all of a sudden it becomes a a bit of a melee and you know everybody's falling out and it's just nobody's focusing on the the end term (coughs) so as you know as as team leaders and business leaders you know we found it was important to to really, really focus on that element and bring the right people into the team. So it's uh, very relevant. Brilliant. I knew, I knew we were having this, this uh, discussion on joint ventures, so I kind of went into a box, actually. I found a picture of the first joint venture I was ever involved in, uh, in corporate life, actually. And it goes back to 1993. So I don't know whether you can see that. Oh, yeah, the dam. You see that? Mm. So this is... This is Lock and Dam 16 on the Mississippi. And I was a project engineer um, uh, a year out of college or university. um, And I was in Muscatine, Iowa. um, 
and that was uh, midwinter. And the the start of that project uh, was when the Mississippi froze over, and the end of the contract was when when it thawed out, when the grain barges couldn't move. Um, so this was a pretty pretty key logistical hub. And this was a joint venture between Peter Kiewit and Sons, who uh, who was the organisation that I was employed by, with joint venture with David McCourt. Um, so that was one joint venture. Um, that was McCourt Kiewit International. Uh, and the uh, second part of the joint venture was the US Army Corps of Engineers. Now that brought a real collision of cultures. You know, for those of you who know David McCourt, he's a billionaire in communications. We've got Peter Kiewit and Sons, the largest construction company, and I have a massive amount of respect for them in the US. Um, but you've got parties trying to open out the telecoms industry globally, so really pushing at the boundaries. And you've then got the US Army Corps of Engineers as well, um, which is pretty steadfast, traditional uh, institution. So that was quite interesting. And then... Um, it got me thinking about some of the other joint venture relationships we've seen, uh, Nigel. And the one that was particularly uh, profound for for you and I, and we were we were right up to our neck in this one. We were both parachuted in to to resolve. Mm. Um, was a renewable uh, power station down in the West Country, yep. uh, and this was a, a, a waste wood gasification processing plant. We we're heavily involved in renewable energy streams, um, uh, heat recovery, as well as energy generation. Um, and this was, uh, without going into the detail, the technology didn't work. I mean, that was the, the bottom line. It, 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 could, it wasn't a reliable form of technology. But the joint venture was a joint venture between um, a very small organisation who had created the technology and a large PLC that had provided the all the guarantees for the funding. And they'd entered into a joint venture. And um, when you actually boiled it down uh, and look at the joint venture partners, and I would suggest everybody takes a, a look in the mirror, any joint venture they're prepared to do, you know, what's um, what has each party got to win and what has each party got to lose? You know, what does great look like, but what does a bad day look like as well? And in this particular case, we've got a, a PLC that had put the entire security package and wrapper around this. There was probably £20 million of bank finance. Um, the whole security package was underpinned by the PLC. Um, so the other 50-50 joint venture partner, the only downside was loss of upside and maybe a little bit of time. But there's no no guarantees, no personal guarantees, no warranties. Um, you know, if it all went wrong, they'd just collapse the company. Mm. And we have to re- resolve this. And, uh, you know, the contracting suite was absolutely enormous. There were 46 key contracting documents in this uh, this package. Um, we had to renegoti- renegotiate a, an extension to a bank long stop because it breached a bank long stop on a 20 to 30 million pound funding line, a mono line as well. So, we, you know, it was, uh, it was pretty torturous. Um, but that really showed us the uh, one of the perils, the downsides, and there's many wonderful sides of, of joint venturing. But that was one of the the, the perils, and I, I think it was from from that and a similar uh, a number of other similar areas where you and I were parachuted in to resolve issues, you know, corporate troubleshooting issues that probably brought uh, our attention um you know in the entrepreneurial world and property world 
So just dissecting what personal guarantees meant. You mentioned personal guarantees on your scenario, Nigel. Um, you know, personal guarantees are, are are not like confetti, are they? They're a very, very serious um, uh, document. So, yeah, maybe let's just have a discussion on PGs and what they mean to joint venture partners. I'm just going to move this around because I've got the sun in my head. It looks like I've got a halo. My wife doesn't agree, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Personal guarantees. I mean, it, I, I guess in in the in the simplest form, you know, I, I think anybody with a mortgage, yeah, you know, we, we're signing lots of paperwork, but you're actually signing a personal guarantee in terms of the funding. You know, when we get into the development world, um, it tends to be slightly limited as well, depending on circumstances. Mark, doesn't it? You know, you we can get um, you know whatever the debt is. Um, sometimes you, you see 20 to 30% of personal guarantees. So that's what you're guaranteeing. Uh, a post of mortgage, actually, where you're guaranteeing the 100%. So that's interesting, the, you know, the, uh, the seesaw of scenario there. But um, yeah, yeah. So I, th- I think in every, event, in every event, we always try to push back, don't we? But, um, you know, unfortunately, the world that we live in, development finance and <coughs> development per se, <coughs> excuse me, um, you know, there is a requirement to do that. But, you know, speaking to the banks, you know, we number of times, you know, the, the commercial agents as well, uh, sorry, the commercial brokers, like one, um, you know, it, it does seem to be the point of last resort. You know, they just want to pull your feet firmly to the fire to make sure you're totally and utterly engaged on, on the output. Um, but I don't believe, I mean, we had a call last night, didn't we, or yesterday afternoon with a, with a, with a funder, and they reiterated it. It's not in their interest. It's such bad press for them, you know, to start, you know, throwing and, and calling in personal guarantees. So it's just kind of that, you know, just just keeping it pinned in there. When they, if and when they are called, um, and I think this is, we've seen so many times joint ventures oversimplified, haven't we? Um, you know, somebody has got. Uh, uh, a lack of time somebody's got the money and why don't we all jump into bed together and pinkies and wander into the sunset and won't life be great um but you know we've we've had calls personally over the last five years you know people coming to us saying houston i've got a problem you know there is an issue here um, and just think, of, you've always got to think of the worst case scenario, as long as you've thought it through, you know, and make a considered view. But if you've got uh, if you've got a joint venture partners, let's say there's four of us involved in a business, and we're all going to be signing personal guarantees in doing some, some great developments, really inspiring developments. Um, but if you look at the net worth of those four people, and you need to ask the tough questions in the good times with your joint venture partners, and that probably needs to include getting your alleys on the table, your assets, liabilities, income and expenditure. You'll need open disclosure anyway with the banks and your broker. So you may as well you know, ask those tough questions now as uncomfortable as it is. Um, and what that will probably reveal, I mean, let's say if there's four partners, let's say one's got a net asset value of 10 million, another's got 5 million, another's got half a million, and the other one's not worth a carrot. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of those scenarios, just a statement of fact. But when PGs are called and you'll all be joint and severally liable, almost certainly, where do you think the bank will go? 
where will they go? And the answer is obvious, isn't it? They'll go the path of least resistance. They'll probably go for all four of you, yeah. but they'll they'll focus their efforts on the one who's got the five, ten, or fifteen million. Um, so, uh, is that worth your risk? You know, if you're putting the if you're putting the money in, and you're going to be the one with the PGs. So PGs are a very serious debating point. So. You need to put, look at yourself in the mirror and understand what your what your investment mandate is. If you're an investor, and a lot of people on this call, some will be wanting to raise investments, some will be investors. So we're all walking a mile in each other's shoes here, and that's the healthy thing to do. Yeah, um, absolutely. So that's uh, every single engagement we look at and consider. Uh, I wouldn't say that's necessarily top of the list because there are a number of competing priorities up there, but that's a key consideration for us, isn't it? Mm, it, it is absolutely, and you know, just just taking that point, you've got to, well, you, you do have to walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. So the person that possibly, you know, hasn't got any value versus the person that's got all the value, you know, just think of the scenario. Um, in terms of a, you know, the personal guarantees have been pulled, have gone to that individual. Generally, people don't own their sorry they don't own their um or have their net worth in cash it's it's generally in assets isn't it you know or it's in something else you know business maybe so it's very difficult to access that sort of cash immediately um so you're getting into five sales you know if it's a portfolio situation you know and that party may have to walk 50 percent of his portfolio into the auction you know at a discounted price so all of a sudden, is you know the value that he has is being discounted. You know that might crystallise a capital gain uh, position for him as well. So he's got to not, only, you know, and it's all kind of what's left in the bank account is the money that that would have to then go out. So, so it isn't necessarily, you know, you've just got to think think these things through. And you know, our solicitors certainly, um, you know, advise way back, and we did this, didn't we? But you know, to have an agreement in place between. Uh, however many parties there are, be it you know four in this instance, let's say, or or whatever, that there's there's you know there's an agreement amongst all of them to make any one person whole, you know, or contribute their their part, and that I think that's really important. But um, yeah, it's it's definitely eyes wide open, you know, with these situations. But but as I say, I, I think PGs are a point of last resort. Um, you know, having spoken to and and you know been dealing with many many. Uh, development finance um, companies over the years, um, and speaking to all of them on this point, you know, it's it's into the the micro percentages that they've actually pulled the PGs, and the, and in every situation, it's been consistent that they've pulled the PGs because the party has gone to ground, switched his phone off, not replying to emails, left the country, you know, I don't know, all, all these sorts of stories, opposed to engaging. There's a problem. Let's engage. Let's find the route. Let's work the route. Let's, you know, you know, the the bank just wants their money back, you know, and and the, the route to getting the money back is finishing the asset probably. You know, so let's let's work a, around that to to make that happen. And uh, so yeah, so in in every event, I think it's just engagement is important. It's it's a classic case, isn't it? That risk is probability times impact, and uh, yeah, the impact is 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 right up there. You know that it's it's for each and every one of us to determine what the probability is in each and every one of our intended joint ventures or or engagements. Yeah. Um, so you know, anybody listening here, 
make sure these are the type of things that are on your risk register, on your checklist for consideration, because this is about your investment mandate, investment of your time, investment of your family's resources. What are you prepared to to put up as um, as collateral? Um, and uh, you know, making sure that what you're trying really hard to work for in terms of that legacy or whatever your 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 vision is, that you're not creating contagion um, and creating a pack of cards or a house of cards, should I say? Um, you know, where you might have everything individually structured in SPVs, but just one or two tweaks can can potentially have that contagion. For instance, you might have everything in individually as SPVs, um, but the moment you default on one, you have an obligation to let the other funders know. So immediately you can see how there is that interaction. This isn't about creating fear here. And we work with our mentees um, in a very detailed fashion to make sure they are asking these tough questions in the good times, making sure if they are doing a joint venture or any business that they've got, that there is a shareholder agreement it's not rocket science, but it's amazing in the heat of the moment when the emotions are flowing, the adrenaline's flowing, you want to get on, and you, yeah, it's fantastic. Don't forget the basics. Get a shareholder agreement. It's not a sophisticated document. A shareholder agreement starts with a blank sheet of paper, and it starts with you sitting down looking like, what does great look like? Asking some of the probing questions and scribble some notes down literally write down a list of all the things that should be should be covered what you intend out of this relationship and then you engage your solicitor to put that into a, a structured shareholder agreement and you might include your accountant in that as well it's not a difficult document to put in and it can evolve as well but in the absence of it everything's up for conjecture um so it's these basics there and uh, i mean we've seen you know, get some of these basics wrong. Um, you're putting seed capital at risk. Can we talk about this a lot, uh, Nigel, don't we? Getting into a development. I had a call with somebody last week um, and they were interested in, in mentorship, actually. Um, and they were just concerned about the, uh, the, the cost and whether they could afford it. And it was kind of whether you can afford it or whether you can't afford it, you know, that protection of seed capital. We've just secured a, a new new build development in Surrey, and uh, we'll probably be paying you know three four thousand pounds for evaluation survey uh, and engaging legals. Um, if we haven't done our due diligence correctly at the front end, the truth will out. You know the monitoring surveyor, the the surveyor's report uh, will come through, the valuation report will come through. There'll be a big down valuation. And the impact will be that lots more private capital is required, or and the deal won't uh, won't be able to be funded in the first place, um, and the seed capital is at risk. Um, and so, you know, it's something you have to invest in having the knowledge. Otherwise, you're just going to be spending money just by trying to work really hard, and nobody got anywhere by just working hard. You've got to work hard and smart, create the knowledge, create that best advice there. And joint venturing is massive eyes wide open and a massive opportunity. I mean, what we do is a joint venture, isn't it, Nigel? Not just with you and I, but also with our two families. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, everything you just said there, Mark, is absolutely spot on. And, you know, 
if there is a joint venture to be had, just going with, you know, think about very much like how we how we create our search criteria, Mark, when we're looking for deals. Yeah, we almost create, you know, our our side of the deal, you know, before engaging with that joint venture partner. You know, and I mentioned on the example with Romford that I I said to the guy almost in the second prayer. You know, very nice to meet you. And by the way, I'm taking no personal guarantees and putting no money in, and, and I want fifty percent of this for the development. You know, just get it straight out there because if if it's not meant to be, then it's just a nice five minute conversation, and you know, wish you all the best kind of thing. But um, I think it's that's really important to just get that out there right at the outset, <clears throat> opposed to walking down the aisle with somebody. You know, you you get to the you know, the, the funding's been put forward, you know, the, the credit back terms are in place and all the rest of it, it's all ready to go. And you're just about to sign and you go, hold on a minute, I'm not taking on the personal guarantees. You know, just see the difference there. I mean, that's just going to blow up, isn't it? You know, that's probably going to destroy the relationship. All that time and all that investor money getting to that point. So I'd, I would urge everybody just to just get it out there right at the front end. You know, this is my criteria. I'm looking for somebody that can do this. You know, and that's that's the perfect storm for. Definitely, definitely. Andrew, morning, Andrew. Uh, Andrew Carter's made a good point on the chat box. Um, yeah, the contract that's with PGs only get taken out of the draw when when all else fails. No one should ever want to get to that point. You know, sensible works, and, and sensible does work. But here's a scenario where things can be taken out of your control if you don't ask those tough questions uh, early on. Um, Let's, let's look back to, I know it's a bit of a cliche, 2008, 2009, 2010. Um, the thing that took a lot of developers down at that time wasn't that they defaulted. It was um, an issue with the banks and it was on demand clauses. Now, you can be running a development, running it absolutely fine, up to date on everything, fully compliant, and an on demand clause can call in the money. And it calls in the money in 28 days. And there are, there are very few who can raise that kind of money in 28 days on a, an on-demand. Um, so if you've got something like on-demand and the consequence of that is fire sales and, and PGs, it's an example. So, so personally, we don't do on-demand. We, we just don't do them. It's, uh, it opens out a discussion. And the great things with commercial finance and working with a great broker, if, if you want a, an introduction to a great broker, just drop us a note. Um, and, and in fact, our trusted partners are in the uh, the trusted partner section in the Equa portal. Again, that's complementary to everybody because um, we want you to have this knowledge. We want you to ask those tough questions. But again, it's back to your mandate. Um, will you sign on-demand clauses? Do you? When do you ask for them? We ask for them right at the front. Don't even give us a, an offer in principle. If they've got on-demand clauses in, forget it. We don't want to talk to them. Um, there's normally a conversation between that and the amount of capital that an investor that a developer is putting in and the PGs. So quite often it's a basket. Yeah, um, and we've we've had that very recently. You mentioned the uh, the new opportunity we've got, and I, I think was it over last weekend or there's a lot of toing and froing, and you know our broker's doing a great great piece of work there. You know, just finding potential lenders that could service our need in, in this particular new opportunity. 
And they they all came back and, you know, and we kind of just lined them all up in terms of their rates and, and et cetera. And I, I just created a, a panel at the bottom and it was asking lots of questions about PGs, on-demand clauses, you know, all these sort of aspects, what were allowable costs and what weren't, you know, in terms of the facility, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it just, it was really quite a useful exercise because I could, I could measure and level them in terms of what was going to work for us. And, um, I mean, quite frankly, we ended up with six on the table, Mark, didn't we? And we zeroed it down to one. And what, what we did, and, and I think this, this was the turning point, we were, we were hit, what we were hearing was from a couple of lenders, oh, yeah, yeah, no, no they don't do on demand and you know, this, is, this, that and the other. And we went back consistently to everyone and asked them to put it in writing. And all of a sudden, there was there was a couple of I won't mention the names, but there was a couple of examples there where, oh no no no, we don't do on demand too, we do on demand, <laughs> you know, and and that was a little bit frustrating for me personally because, you know, if we hadn't have kind of pushed the point, you know, we could have spent three thousand, three four thousand quid on the valuation. We could have been into legal, so therefore burning costs there. We probably would have spent the money on the searches, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to find that there's a there's a lender we're going forward with that doesn't align with our requirements, you know. And so what do you do there? You know, and so on and so forth. So so I think I think in terms of that, just you know, we use the term, you know, ask, ask the tough questions in the good times. And and at the outset, I think is is a good time for everybody. That they're selling, they want to get their money deployed. You're buying, let's say, you know, in terms of the selection of the the appropriate partner. And um, just get it out there, what you want. And, um, you know, it can be negotiation to be had as well. So, you know, we saw a bit of that, didn't we? Where, you know, there was one party maybe had um, 25% PGs, came down to 20%, just because we said the minimum criteria for us is 20%, you know, as an example. So, yeah, it's an um, interesting world. Definitely. It really is. And conscious of time as well. Blimey, yeah. Yeah. Five minutes just goes so quickly, doesn't it? Um, so Hannah's kindly put in the link um, that you requested for the Equiportal free membership. Not going to cost you a penny. Just go in there, join up, and there's all these free resources there that we're continuously adding to the recording of this if you want to go back through it. Um, over the last week, um, we're now full on our Equi mentorship for our autumn intake. So um, if you've already got a conversation with us, we've, we've pre-allocated a, a place there. So don't worry about that. Um, but we are now, we have now got a waiting list for January. So if you want to consider mentorship, I'll just put my email address in, in there. So uh, yeah, mark.stokes at equisas.co.uk. If you're interested in having a, a chat, um, no obligation, have a chat with me personally. And I'll, I'll spend some time with you uh, discussing um, you know, what you're looking to gain and achieve and, uh, and whether equimentorship is, is right for you. So um, January is the next opening date. Um, so, uh, yeah, drop me an email. More than happy to have a chat with you. And uh, whether that's equimentorship or we do earn and learn as well, which is a great way. And I, I know we've got a number of our new investors on the scheme in Surrey. Uh, they're looking to come and, and follow the progress of the new build activity there. So that's something we do with, with our investors. Um, they, they invest with us and we provide, uh, in effect, equi-mentorship, whether that be SaaS or, or non-SaaS investors. 
um, for for the next year, eighteen months with them. So, you know, great, lovely relationship there. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So, mate. Well, forty-five minutes gone. Um, so, I have a feeling we should do a part two of this next week. Um, okay. There are so many questions. Um, yep. I, uh, Julia, um, has asked a question here. Have we got a checklist on things to consider for JV partnerships? We have our own checklists. Um, obviously, there are just so many different deal structures available, um, but and we apply our experience to each and every one of them. So, no, there isn't. A, we haven't got a standard document of things that can, can uh, could consider, but it's something I'll put on the list, and uh, maybe I'll mull that one over, and maybe that's a. The next new addition that could go into the uh, the Echo Portal in uh, in the, the days or weeks ahead. Right. Um, and, and there's another couple of questions here. One on SaaS loan backs, another on SaaS funding, and I think we're out of time, so we're going to have to cover those next week if that's okay. So, hopefully, you've enjoyed this. Look, we don't charge for this uh, this webinar. You know, it's just grab your porridge. Grab your cup of tea and have breakfast with Nigel and I. Yeah, so uh, so it's going to be a very interesting uh, rest of the day. It's the last day before lockdown. We've got the, the US presidential election. Um, but our focus, Nigel, will be pushing forward our personal economy because that's what we subscribed to do when we left corporate life, wasn't it? Take control of every aspect of our personal family economy. And that's what drives us time and time again. Absolutely. And, you know, help as many people as we can along the way as well. So that's, uh, yeah, really, really enjoyable. Yeah. Brilliant. Look, thank you so much, everybody. Another bumper audience. You know, you've got some great questions there. Only sorry we couldn't answer every single one of them. But part two of Joint Venturing next Wednesday. Really looking forward to it. Have a wonderful rest of the week and a fantastic week with your loved ones. So take care, everyone. Take care. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Property Portfolio Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode and that it inspired you on the next leg of your journey. If you've got any questions or comments, why not reach out to us at our Facebook page, Equa Academy. Also, don't forget to register for free access to hundreds of property development videos and templates over at equaacademy.co.uk and we'll see you in next week's episode. Thank you.